Being really close to another person, whether it's a parent, a significant other, a friend, a sibling, or one of your children, feels so natural, doesn't it? We want to be close to those we love. We want to help each other make decisions, do chores, plan for the future. Walking the path with someone who is in our life is the most natural of all actions. But walking beside someone, offering an opinion when asked for it, and being supportive when it's truly an act of love, is not the same as taking someone else's work away from them. We all have specific assignments in this life. Not being allowed to do our own work prevents us from realizing the growth we are here to achieve. When any one of us fails to fulfill that which we are here to do, many others will not get the opportunity to do what they are here to do either. We are like puzzle pieces compromising a panoramic scene, not filling in the space that's been designated as ours means the picture isn't complete. Our own life must be attended to if we are to be and to give all that we can to the circle of associates who are obviously part of our journey. Nothing is happening by chance. Those who are next to us on the path need our input, perhaps, but little more. The thrill of living our lives in concert with others is great indeed, but we must have the freedom to fulfill our part of the journey alone. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello and welcome to today's Heart Lift with Janelle. Here we are, moving through Stronger Every Day, nine tools for an emotionally healthy you. We're in movement three, establish. Establish means to found, to institute, to build, or bring into being on a firm or stable basis. We're going to move into tool eight today, soar in healthy skies, and our tool is emotion regulation. The intention of tool eight, I soar in the healthy skies of emotion regulation. We're going to just dive right in today. I want to focus on a pivotal moment on a staircase in Kenya that I believe will be extremely helpful for you today. Maybe you feel stuck on a staircase. Tool eight begins with a story. I'm on page 204 if you have your book. Every soul needs a good stretching now and then. At least that is what I tried to tell myself on the steps of a Kenyan home. When Ruth, the Joy Village program coordinator, 
gathered us all into the main foyer of the Joy Village living room, you could hear a pin drop. Six American women and four Kenyan mamas stood in a semicircle, waiting, watching, and wondering what was about to take place. You will be spending the night with one of the mamas and her children, Ruth said. This way, you can immerse yourself in their lives, see their ministry, and spend time with their family before going on our weekend retreat together. I think this time will benefit each of us greatly. One of our greatest missions on this long journey to Kenya was to bless these remarkable Kenyan mamas with their very first women's retreat. There they could rest, recuperate, and receive strong, restorative teaching and community that would strengthen their hearts, minds, and bodies for the incredibly hard job they face every single day. Ruth's idea seemed like a good one. Our highest priority and deepest desire were to comfort and connect and cultivate long-lasting relationships with these Kenyan mamas. I was so in, (laughs) or at least I thought I was. One by one, she introduced us to our mama. Janelle, you will be with Mama E, Ruth said. Elizabeth's up in her apartment, the love house, each separate family apartment within the Joy Village complex, bears the name of one of the fruits of the Spirit. A beautiful handmade inscription hangs over the frame of the front door. How interesting, I thought. Hmm. The main theme of my current research is the practice of love. Wow, God doesn't miss a single thing. (laughs) Time to test my teaching. I had an inkling big lessons were on the horizon of my heart. Little did I know that I was also about to physically, step by step, walk into an even deeper level of my own emotional healing. Ruth's plan took me by surprise. I wasn't prepared to spend the entire afternoon and night in the apartment with the mama and her 12 children. I thought we would be visiting the families and then sleeping together as a mission team. You know, that is, with the women I was comfortable with and in the rooms of the main building. This being my first time on a Kenya mission trip, I just didn't know. Did I miss the memo, I thought? I was told to bring my purse, so I had my purse, but no change of clothes, no makeup, and most importantly in my little world, no snacks. With a rare swallowing disease, I'm always hyper-concerned about what and how I will eat. As I made my way up the stairs, something very strange happened. My emotions escalated, and I began to panic. One by one, my friends left me to be with their mamas until I was all alone on those steps. Me, myself, and I. I tried to move forward, but just couldn't. Feeling a bit off, I braced myself against the wooden stair, the railing, so many thoughts, (laughs) so many thoughts were going through my head. Oh dear, seriously, what am I going to eat? I don't even have a bottle of water. Can I drink the water here? Where will I sleep? 
How am I going to use the bathroom? You know, you have to go to the bathroom all the time. How will I communicate? I didn't bring anything to do with these children. I'm not prepared. I am shocked. If only I had known, I could have brought coloring books and games. I could have had a plan. You see, I didn't have a plan. And on and on, my thoughts went. My thought cycle was out of control. The chaotic conversation inside my head continued. The cognitive dissonance, a.k.a. what we call stinking thinking, whirling inside my head was really making me nauseous. I've never had a panic attack before or since. But I know that I know what I experienced on those steps now, looking backwards, because you see, we live life forward and we understand it backwards. So looking back when I was actually writing Stronger Every Day, which was a good three years after this journey, three or four actually, I began to understand what happened on those steps. It's a fact that our physical bodies respond to and escalate internal anxiety. And boy, mine was feeling and reeling from the effects of that anxiety. What frustrated me the most, though, in that moment was that this was not my first international adventure, not my first rodeo. So all this nonsensical thinking added even more frustration at my seeming inability to calm my nerves. Why couldn't I get it together here? What is wrong with me? Come on, Janelle, seriously. You train women to conquer their fears every day. Why are you stuck on these steps? You want to be here. (laughs) My mind raced, my heart raced faster. One dominant, out-of-control mantra rang like incessant church bells. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah, we know the little engine that could. I can. I can. I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I was like, I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I can't even move my feet. Why is my body paralyzed? Why is my heart racing? Why am I flipping my lid? With each step, those four words got louder and louder until I really couldn't move. I was stuck. They seemed to be stuck on repeat, and I seemed to be stuck on the steps. I was emotionally frozen, stuck in the limbic center of my brain. In that moment, I was incapacitated and unable to retrieve information stored in the highly necessary rational thinking center of my brain known as our prefrontal cortex. You can refer back to that Um, diagram that I have in the beginning of the book. I was stuck in my amygdala, my fight, flight, freeze, fawn, part of my brain that is in charge of survival. It's also where we store trauma. My heart and mind, you know, that very, very long journey we've talked about over and over again. It's one of the main themes of Stronger Every Day and one of the main themes that we find and face in the Heartlifter's journey is that journey from our head to our heart. We can know in our head, but connecting that to our heart, our second brain, and moving that down to our third brain, our gut, you see, they work in sync. And mine was totally out of sync because I was in a state of panic. Why the heck was I panicking, right? 
Trauma researcher and author of The Body Keeps the Score, one of our primary books here in our Heart Lifters journey, Bessel van der Kolk writes, Traumatized people chronically feel unsafe inside their bodies. We would call this a disembodiment. The past is alive in the form of gnawing interior discomfort. Well, Bessel, you nailed how I felt in that moment. (laughs) I had a gnawing interior discomfort. Their bodies are constantly bombarded by visceral warning signs. And in an attempt to control these processes, they often become expert at ignoring their gut feelings and in numbing awareness of what is played out inside. They learn to hide from their true selves. Take that pause here. If you've ever felt a gnawing interior discomfort, maybe you didn't find yourself frozen or paralyzed. You felt yourself running away, driving to a Target parking lot and crying your eyes out, pulling over after you've been on a long bridge like I did and I talk about in overcoming hurtful words and just going, I can't do life anymore. Well, in Kenya, on those steps, I definitely wasn't feeling relaxed or safe in my body, even though my mind and my heart knew I was safe and secure. J.L. Marino, the father of psychodrama, sociometry, and group psychotherapy, said far ahead of his time, the body remembers what the mind forgets. The body remembers what the mind forgets. So Heartlifter, as I am telling my story today, and you know, I tell my story to inform your story. You have a story and I have a story. I hope that mine helps you. That's why I do what I do. That's why I'm here with you today, talking and teaching and hopefully guiding you to become unstuck, unparalyzed, free, so that you can actually live your God-breathed dignity out into the world in which you live. So the body remembers what the mind forgets. This was the confounding and frustrating part of this entire ordeal. Well, thankfully, due to the healthy emotional practices I had been implementing in my daily life, I was finally able to dig deep and access them. Breathe, Janelle, breathe. Breathe. I knew to breathe. I knew grounding techniques. Now, this was 2015, so I had not been introduced to the beautiful power of memory reconsolidation, which we talked about last time and which you will be hearing again from Dr. Perkis very soon in our uh, next episode about this process of using therapeutic-grade essential oils that have been strategically formulated, scientifically tested and proven to clear any emotions or memories in our lives that still have a negative charge. So I hadn't I hadn't had this beautiful aroma freedom technique or trauma memory reconsolidation technique. I didn't possess that yet. <laughs> it was not yet in my arsenal of tools. But I knew to breathe. Ground yourself, Janelle, I said. Ground, feel the steps. 
close your eyes. Pray your brave three-word prayer. God, help me. I repeated this simple practice because it was all that I knew at the time, but I knew I had it, and of course, I knew to pray. (laughs) The greatest of all tools, by the way. I repeated and repeated and repeated the simple practice. It felt like hours. It did. I'm sure it was only minutes until I felt the stirring in my soul quiet down. And then I welcomed God into the wise, which is one of the very first steps on our heartlifting journey in the heartlift method is to embrace and ask God into all of our whys. I continued my deep breathing in order to gain a sense of composure to get some form of emotion regulation, which is the tool we're talking about here, to quiet down my sympathetic nervous system, my limbic system, my amygdala, so that I could get into my prefrontal cortex and start a little bit of reasoning (laughs) so I could move forward. Because you see, I couldn't flee. There was no way out here. There was nowhere to go. I was essentially trapped and stuck because I couldn't run out. I couldn't get in my car. I couldn't drive away. I'm thousands of miles from home. I'm in a gated beautiful joy village where um, traumatized children are rescued and brought and given a home in which to live in so they can earn their secure attachment and get some footing in life. And that's who these mamas serve. And each one of these mamas has nine to 12 children who have been in some rough spaces in life. I fully support the Joy Village. I wanted to be there so badly. It was a dream come true. I knew I was right where I should be, yet I'm having this panic. I finally was able to continue up the next flight of stairs. And each each of the um, flights were seven steps. It's all a bit of an emotional blur. It really is. But I did find my way to the top of the steps and into Mama Elizabeth's house of love. By God's grace and a whole lot of prayer and healthy, healthy, healthy um, self-talk. Call it whatever you want to call it. But I talked to myself. I brought myself into a state of healthiness and cognitive reframing. I slowly and surely made it through the fight, flight, freeze response, and I made my way into what I'm now referring to as a flow response. And I introduced this fifth or sixth aspect of our survival mechanism because I truly believe that we can live our life in a flow response. Now, if we're being chased by a bear, we've been given fight, flight, or freeze for a reason. There are times and places to have our amygdala fire up We're just not supposed to live our lives from our amygdala. That's what I'm always trying to make clear here. Any of us who have lived in a traumatic childhood where perhaps we didn't receive secure attachment, whether it's little T, middle T, big T trauma, our nervous systems were always on high alert. We're living with the window of tolerance and hypoarousal or hyperarousal. And our biggest journey on the Heartlifters journey here is to live our lives from a place of secure attachment where we have stable, a stable sense of emotion regulation, where we can 
actually respond from our sense of reasoning, from our prefrontal cortex, and only use that amygdala and that limbic system when we are in danger, when we need it to help us survive something. And so, but we don't want to live life every day from that place. So I've worked decades on trying to transfer from living out of my sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, or freeze, and live instead out of my parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. Homeostasis. Equanimity. So when I walked into Mama E's apartment, she smiled and she cupped her hands over her heart. Oh, it's you. (laughs) I was like, oh, goodness, I'm not sure that's good or bad. Oh, it's you. I was just a bit reticent at first. I was still recovering from, miraculously recovering recovering from what I would call a panic attack in, in, in some form. Here we were, two women, two completely different cultures, a Kenyan and a Mazunga, a white woman, as they say in Swahili. As we looked deep into each other's eyes, something inside of me relaxed. Peace settled in and I settled down. She offered me some delicious chai and made me feel as though her home was my home. The atmosphere in the house of love welcomed me and saturated every single nerve ending in my body. I will say I did freak out thinking, can I drink this water? She's making me this tea. She is boiling the water. You know, I was just still in that state of fear, but moving through my fear with a little bit more sense of reasoning and emotion regulation. Slowly and with great assurance, my nervous system sent a memo from my head to my heart. It said, calm down. Calm down. You've got this. You're safe now. You're okay. My fears melted. In Kenyan love, and before I knew it, I felt safe and loved and deeply grateful. My soul was soothed. Here's the background of this story and why it's so critically important and why we need to understand that any memories that still have negative, painful, hurtful charges attached to them, memories that have not been brought into the present and consolidated through some form of trauma-informed healing, EMDR, AFT, TMRT, the things I am certified as a practitioner in, um, neurofeedback. Trauma-informed therapy is a game changer. So if you are stuck, if you need more information, traditional counseling is powerful but we need trauma-informed counsel. So getting back to the backstory, I read from page 208. I went to Kenya, still recovering from relational trauma, having experienced a recent tipping point of hurtful words from a close, trusted comrade. Years of hurtful words and actions, both spoken and unspoken, led me to an emotional breakdown. Even though I was unconscious of my emotions still being tender to the touch, my body was on high alert. Bessel van der Kolk writes, In our studies, we keep seeing how difficult it is for traumatized people to feel completely relaxed and physically safe in their bodies. We measure our subjects HRV, heart rate variability, 
by placing tiny monitors on their arms during Shavasana, the pose at the end of most yoga classes during which practitioners lie face up, palms up, arms and legs relaxed. Instead of relaxation, we picked up too much muscle activity to get a clear signal. Rather than going into a state of quiet repose, our students' muscles often continue to prepare them to fight unseen enemies. Okay, so stick with me. So you see, on that stairwell, on the way to Mama Joyce, Mama Elizabeth's house of love, I was fighting unseen enemies of fear and panic, and I didn't even know it. There was still some unresolved, unconsolidated trauma that kept me stuck in my amygdala. Well, within the hour, Mama E's 12 children started coming in from school, startled a bit to see this very tall, very white, very redheaded human being standing at the door, smiling and welcoming them home. They came home in shifts, younger children first, and the older ones coming in much later. Quickly, Mama E and I transitioned from complete strangers getting to know one another to mothers on a mighty mission. Dinner prep, homework, chores, showers, evening prayers, and devotions. It didn't take long before I was no longer a guest, but a part of this remarkable family. Without any hesitation, little nine-year-old Salome used her persuasive skills to coerce me, a native foreigner, to help her with her chores, fold mounds of laundry, organize the girl's closet, and polish 12 pairs of shoes. Uh Uh-huh, 12 pairs, 24 shoes. Her coy little smile hinted how pleased she was to have me as her new assistant. Well, the evening went on, and five-year-old Anastasia and seven-year-old Naomi needed help with writing their letters. Thankfully, I'm a former first-grade teacher, and I knew exactly how to help them. Curious Danton and Francis were mesmerized by the fluorescent indigo nightlight of my very basic Timex watch. They pressed the little button so many times, the battery died in the middle of the night. And during a roaring rendition of this little light of mine, something so exquisitely special happened. The smiling faces of this powerful house of love's children's choir soothed my soul. It didn't matter that I came bearing no gifts. Our joyful voices, our clapping hands, and our tapping toes were all we needed. Laughter filled the room, and for a few minutes, none of us had a problem in the world. You see, Heartlifters, God is in the soul-stretching business. It's what he does, and it's a huge theme in Tool 8. God specializes in enlarging the souls of man. That's you and me so that we can taste and see the world through his eyes. Yeah, the process is very painful at times, and tears typically accompany soul expansion. 
But if we can somehow open our hearts and stay with and pray through the threshold of the fight-flight-freeze-fawn phase of initial emotional alarm, we will make our way to what I'm calling the flow response, a possible fifth option that I do feel is available to each one of us. I say that's the living water flow response, right? We talked all about that in tool six, tool seven. It's uniquely offered through the power of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he offers us this river of living water that will flow into all of life's hard places, spaces, and faces, and it will bring healing. What happened to me on that Kenyan step and the process I immediately put into practice is what psychologists call emotion regulation. This is the star tool of tool eight. This term has many definitions, but I really love how therapist and author Hillary McBride describes it. She explains emotion regulation as our learned ability, underline learned on page 212, to notice and experience our emotions and then respond to them accordingly. Emotion regulation is like an internal thermostat, which notices and then makes changes accordingly to help us stay emotionally within a range of feelings that is tolerable, productive, and actually appropriate. It is typically considered a process, or as we like to say here in the Stronger Everyday community, a healthy practice and encompasses a wide array of strategies, contemplative prayer, healthy self-talk, talking with friends, exercising, work-life balance, writing in a journal, meditation and yoga, self-care, self-compassion, hydration and nutrition, and getting proper sleep, to name a few. On the flip side of this life management skill is emotional dysregulation, which is an extreme or inappropriate emotional response to a situation. So it's going to look like a really bad temper outburst or tantrum, deliberate self-harm, deliberate uh, self-numbing. It typically leads to unhealthy strategies like the numbing I just said, alcohol, drug abuse, self-injury, isolation, physical or verbal abuse, And more recently, excessive social media use or digital distraction syndrome. Yeah, that's a real thing now. So let's sum this all up. Without a doubt, my entire stuck on the Kenyan step saga serves as a prime example of my humble attempt to move from emotional dysregulation to emotion regulation, my escalating anxious, panic-filled thoughts, and heightened nervous system. Remember, my sympathetic nervous system was in hyper-arousal, or maybe hypo. I was frozen, so that's hypo, on a negative feedback loop, an unhealthy default behavior cycle. I had seconds to reframe my mental state by implementing prayer and healthy talk in an effort to interrupt and short-circuit the loop. 
emotions, Hillary McBride, it continues, are merely information. I really love that so much. There's two definitions of emotions that I love. One is energy in motion, and the second is they're merely information. They actively and consistently inform our brain. Nothing more, nothing less. So as we learn to interpret the vital information our emotions are sending us, our life will be healthier and far more stable. So as I wrote this chapter and developed this tool, I realized the real reason I froze on those steps in Kenya. It had been bucking the heck out of me, begging me to pay attention and asking me to spend some time getting all the way down to my good emotional bones. Because of a tight deadline when I was writing the book, I also had to keep moving forward, but I kept getting this tapping on my shoulder. Slow down, Janelle. You've got to add this and you have to add it right. Notice this. Pay attention here. Oh, I fought it because I was on a deadline, but I also knew I couldn't publish this tool without giving it the proper attention. So I realized this. Go ahead and lean here. This is our teaching moment for today. I I had traveled, like I said, on international mission journeys before, but this was my first trip post-relational trauma. Now, I've had relational trauma in my life, but as I pointed out in my book, Overcoming Hurtful Words, the relational trauma I experienced in that specific situation was a tipping point. It broke the camel's back, in a sense, and it forced me to pay attention and to make some serious changes in my life. It required me to look at why do I let other people treat me like that? You see, it wasn't really the other person's fault. It was my fault. If we want to find fault, that is. I needed to grow and become healthier. And so that situation was allowed in my life because it was a tipping point. I call it a spiritual tipping point. So even though I thought I was emotionally healed, my body remembered what my mind forgot. Relational trauma expert, Dr. Tian Dayton, love her, writes, our bodies can carry the imprint of our unprocessed, unconscious emotions and the sights, sounds, smells, and tactile sensations that surround those feelings well after the fact, in what we refer to as body memories, or some would say somatic affect. She writes, we have learned that trauma is not just an event that took place some time in the past. It is also the imprint left by that experience on mind, brain, and body. This imprint has ongoing consequences for how the human organism manages to survive in the present. Trauma results in a fundamental reorganization of the way mind and brain manage perceptions. I'll read that again. Trauma results in a fundamental reorganization of the way mind and brain 
manage perceptions. It changes not only how we think and what we think about, but also our very capacity to think. This is life-changing. Oh, friends, please, please. I hope that Tool 8 helps you if you are in Stuckville, if you're stuck on the steps of ascending to your beautiful self. You see, my body was keeping score of my exhaustion, of my exhausted emotional state. As my lovely, safe friends and mission teammates left me one by one, I felt very alone and unconsciously vulnerable and afraid. Even though I didn't realize it at the time, my body, my subconscious defaulted to anxiety. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be alone. You see, Mama E's house was the one at the top. So everyone else went into their homes and there I was left on the steps by myself to take the last 14 steps higher by myself. Unexpected fear set in and stirred a deep place in my soul. I felt alone and unsafe, even though I was completely safe. So you see the tension here. Consciously, in my head, I knew I was safe. I was with safe people who loved me. And at one moment, if I cried out, they would have been there to help me. Dr. Tian Dayton affirms, intimate relationships provide the most basic and available paths for healing wounds to the heart. Trauma, remember, interrupts the attachment bond, causing a loss of trust and faith in life and in relationships. I'm going to read that again. Trauma interrupts the attachment bond. So you see, I had done all kinds of work prior to this journey to earn my secure attachment, to feel safe, known, seen, loved, cared for, nurtured, and belong. I had, I had that. But a trauma wound that is not yet consolidated and made peace with will still interrupt the, tra- the attachment bond. These wounds cannot be healed in isolation where they lay dormant. They need the recreation of a relationship bond that stimulates them and brings them to the surface where they can be seen and felt and healed. The painful feelings, even when they come up, can feel unsurvivable, almost like an inner death. But the feelings that were repressed in order to allow us to survive can deaden our life force, keeping energy bound up and unavailable for the business of living. This is so critically important for someone. I know you're listening. I know you're rewinding and going, I got to hear that again. I got to understand. This is hard to understand. Hear this. I didn't think I was quite ready for going it on my own, but thankfully God was with me. He knew I was ready or I would not have been in Kenya on those steps. It was time. It was Kairos time. He helped me walk up the stairs and he had connected me to a very strong support system, all the essentials for strong recovery. When and if, as I said, I needed any help 
My friends would have been there in a second. But in my heart of hearts, I knew I needed to pray through and stay with that journey up the steps, face the fear, and implement my new emotional health tools and lean hard on God. In God's wise superintendence and intentional strategic orchestration of life events, he knew that freedom was waiting on the other side of my fear. He knew freedom was waiting for me on the other side of the world. As my body moved up the seven stairs, my mind and my heart followed. Oh, dear friends. My study on this has continued, and I could go on for a while, and I may revisit it down the road. But for the sake of time, I wanted to share what I've recently learned about stairs and the architecture of stairs. And in the show notes, I'm going to add a TED Talk by the beautiful David Rockwell, an architect, and he talks about the hidden ways stairs affect and shape our life. It's so astounding and relevant to tool eight. He said, stairs may be one of the most emotionally malleable physical element that an architect has to work with. At its most basic, a stair is a way to get from point A to point B at different elevations. Oh my gosh, just the words underneath the words here. Come on. (laughs) Crazy, right? So there I am in Kenya, still needing a little more healing from some deep emotional relational trauma. I'm stuck on the stairs and I have to get from point A to point B so that I can be elevated. The name of tool eight in this chapter is soar, soar in emotionally healthy skies. Heartlifters, it's time for you to soar. Do you hear me? It's time for you to soar like an eagle. Ah, stairs come to be when someone in the world one day back when said, I need to get from this lower rock to that higher rock. So sometimes there was some stepped logs, a pile of logs, ladders, natural pathways. There just was a means of getting to higher elevation. And he continues and said, the stair is a symbolic spine of the house. What? So that Stenian, Kenyan staircase has become very symbolic in my own life. It was a journey from fear to freedom. It was. And I had to take that journey alone, yet with a whole beautiful community of women in all the houses on the way up. If I needed them, they'd have been there. I knew they were there, so that offered that that additional support that I needed. I knew they were there if I needed them. That's why community is important. We know they're there if and when we need them. And on this journey and talking about stairs and developing this podcast today, I came across this incredible tool and it's illustrated so beautifully 
by A Journey to Wellness. It's a beautiful illustrator that lives in Australia, and it's called The Mood Staircase. And I'll have it in the show notes for you. So go ahead and take a pause, download it so that you can use it as I move you up the mood staircase. So this staircase has 10 steps. I was stuck on seven, but we, for the sake of this illustration, will go up 10 steps. And there are four steps that you move through in this simple tool to improve your mind and your mood. Zero, step zero, is gonna be the worst you've ever felt. 10, the best you've ever felt. So if we're down on zero, the worst we've ever felt, your step one is to rate your mood from zero to 10 on the mood staircase. Step two, identify some small things you could do to move up just one step. Keep my story in mind. So I identified that I could breathe. I could start taking some deep breaths. You know, those deep belly breaths that we talk about. I could ground myself. I could feel my feet on the concrete step. I could feel the coldness of the rail. I looked around. I saw the beautiful teal color on the wall. Step three, do these things each day for three days. Now, I only had a few minutes, but this is a beautiful exercise. If you have a stairway in your house like I do, you can do this on the stairwell. It's such a beautiful tool. And step four, re-rate your mood again after three days. And then just repeat steps two to four until you feel the elevation in your mood that you have moved now from panic, point A, or fear, or worry, or you fill in your mood or emotion, and you have moved up a little bit closer to 10, to freedom, to progress, to calm, to rest. You've you've moved forward enough that you can keep moving forward because here in this community, practice means progress. All right, that's been a lot. So I hope this is setting someone free out there today. Heartlifters, remember, you are clothed in strength and dignity with nothing to fear. In fact, you can smile at your future. Until next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairden.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.